Welcome back to Generations of X, the podcast where we discuss the past, present, and future of all things X-Men. I'm your co-host, the adjectiveless Flinkman, and folks, today the uncanny Dayspring and I are so excited to bring you part two of our interview with the authors of X-Men, the art and making of the animated series, showrunner Eric Leewald and series writer Julia Leewald. Now, we were never planning on this being a two-part episode, but the Leewalds were just so incredible and so knowledgeable that we didn't want to cut anything out. With all that being said, let's not waste any time. Please kick back and relax like it's a Saturday morning in 1992 and enjoy. Swinging things back to the actual show and the stories at this point. Um, so Morph, uh, having a character die in what is essentially a cartoon for children uh, in your very first episode is definitely some intense stuff. Uh, was there a lot of hemming and hawing over that or was the, the network and the powers that be on board? Shout out to a woman named Avery Coburn, who was for Fox Kids, the broadcast standards and practices person, which is basically the censor. And right. If she had not been on board with what X-Men was and what X-Men was trying to accomplish, the show wouldn't have gotten out of the gate. Yeah. But she was a fan of the books. And again, it's easy to think now, oh, everyone knows the X-Men. But in 92, it was a huge comic book hit. But that had not bled into the general population yet. I mean, right. like you were saying, what, like 85% of the country wouldn't at that time might have heard of the X-Men, couldn't name you three of them, you know. But, but Avery mm -hmm. had been a fan of the books. And when she was on board as broadcast standards and practices. Uh, she was willing to work with, with to listen, X-Men. Yeah, our, the two executives, I mean, Sydney really wanted it. Uh, Mark Edens and I who were laying out the first season and that pilots are always often the hardest part of, of a show because you're trying to introduce everything and tell an exciting story so that people will come back and watch your series. Mm -hmm. Um, but we thought, okay, we gotta, we gotta kill somebody in the opening. And I swear to God, I remember you ta talking to me about that because it was yeah. you and Mark at the dining room table. You're gonna kill someone, a character, yeah. and on, on, on a brand yeah. new show on, on Fox Kids. Not gonna, she, she, did, she couldn't believe mind. it. And it did take a few weeks talking with Avery. Mm -hmm. At first, it was, oh, can it be? You know, it looks like maybe he's hurt, and then everybody, and, and big people feel scared for a minute, because. The rest of this, you know, they're they're almost the rest of the season. We couldn't even we couldn't even kill dinosaurs. We could. Yeah. We have notes about that. Yeah. You, you don't want to gratuitously just be slaughtering people, but we convinced her how important it was that we do this for the sake of 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 the fan of the family that is the X Men coming together and grieving. Mm -hmm. And she just said, "Well, it can't be gratuitous. It can't be on screen." You know, they blast him and it hits him when he's off screen. And uh, she waits. She, says, she, she said, let me see how you write out the script, right. whether I'm going to give the final okay on this or not. And she did. And she gave us some trust. And that, you know, by the 15th or 20th episode, we had established a serious mm -hmm. trust with her. Like when we were asked to do the, the say, the God, the uh, Nightcrawler with, with Faith and God episode, which she had to okay. Which I still can't believe but got this, done. But, but, mm. but for Killing Morph, that was right off the bat. We said, okay, this is the big thing, favor we want from you. We know this has never been done before, and this is going to freak out some kids, and Fox may get some nasty mail from 
uh, parents of children that what are the hell are you doing killing lead characters in your animated show but we all we were able to convince her about the creative storytelling necessity of it the hero's journey and she sacrificed and she and she got it i mean you know i we, we we have this argument every time on new shows and nine out of ten don't let us do it i said look you can't have bambi without you know a parent getting killed yeah i mean <laughs> uh what is it uh Finding Nemo starts out with, with, with the whole village getting slaughtered. Yeah. There's like two survivors of a mass slaughter. Yeah. At the beginning. It, it's not that kids, you know, kids get loss and sacrifice. This is not something that's going to, uh, throughout history, dramatic, dramatic storytelling and heroic storytelling talks about sacrifice and mm -hmm. shows you sacrifice. And, and it's just that, TV is usually pretty gutless about it. They're usually just, oh no, no, this is gonna, this is gonna ruffle feathers and and cause a nightmare or two, and so uh, we can't do it. And we just, no, we were lucky they a, let us. A truth about Morph, though, honestly, he was supposed to stay dead. He was supposed to stay dead. It was important that he was this, that. In my words, it was not a soap opera death. And I love my soaps, but you know, it, it was the point was he was not supposed to come back. Then during that first season when it was on the air and it was playing. Never let the executives have a focus group, but they did a focus group with the young kids and asked, who's your favorite character? And Morph won by a landslide. And it's like, what? Oh, no. It's like, oh, okay, well, he made Wolverine laugh. You know, he's introduced in a way that we see everyone's reaction to him. The kids loved Morph. Yeah. And then you got the call. We made it too lovable. So I got the call <laughs> from Sydney, who, who had supported us on everything and really felt bad about it and supported us on killing Morph from the beginning. Mm said, you got to, I'm sorry, but please, please bring him back. Uh, you know, this, and so we, that was a real, that, that was not happy. That was not an easy thing to agree to. Yeah. But then once we did, we thought, okay, great. We can do some PTSD stuff here. We can have morph, show different sides of morph and show ways that people are disappointed with their friends and their family and use him in a different way as a character. We, we just kind of sucked it up and wrote it off as a that we failed by not having him being really dead but he was supposed to be but he just was you know they let us he was supposed to be yeah so and, originally uh, and i know a lot of our viewers out there listeners out there uh love the intro there's a character in that intro they mentioned in the book thunderbird and so what was the original intent for thunderbird why is he why is he in the intro Funny as we discuss Morph here, um, for folks who are, and you both seem well-versed in, in the world of the comic books, but in, in the comic books, when the decision came down to, okay, we're going to have a heroic sacrifice in the, in the pilot, you know, who could that be? Yeah. Not ironically, but uh, historically, Thunderbird had been a character who had... Killed pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. had sacrificed himself yeah. in a way in the books. So, oh, great. Okay, so they're designing Thunderbird. Okay, great. And then, and then, not not to be overly sensitive, but someone kind of realized we we yeah. only have one Native American character in the show so far, and, and we're killing. And we're him. killing him right away. Yeah. Can we not do that? So that was pulled. That was pulled back, and it was. It, and so that he was he was supposed to be in the the, the, yeah. the lead, and he was supposed to be killed. And then, then we had to replace him with Changeling. Again, we look back, you know, who, who else has died sacrificing himself for the X-Men? And Changeling did. 
And then we had to change his name because <laughs> the lawyer said DC has a changeling and we might get a lawsuit and we fought it. But he said, no, look, all you got, you can use his look. You can use everything about him. You just have to change his name. So that's how changeling became Thunderbird became changeling became morph. But in the meantime, <laughs> on the art side, uh, Larry Houston and everybody, they, they'd already, they had already designed Thunderbird in anticipation of using him. And then yeah. that suddenly got pulled out from underneath them. But as I understand it, Warpath, is his, in twin the, brother. his twin brother who was a bad guy in the X-Men universe. So they so, used his design for Warpath and just and that's why threw he, him in the title. <laughs> that's why you see him in the title sequence. <laughs> so uh, the show Bible uh, in the book, it states that we don't plan to go into space, but of course that, that didn't stand. No. Um, at what point in the process did you decide to tackle the Phoenix and Dark Phoenix sagas and whose suggestion was it? It was, it was after the first two seasons were so successful uh, that uh, Marvel committed and Fox committed to do three more, to do 39 more episodes. As opposed is, to 13, which, 13, 13. Which is a big purchase, right. which is a big commitment. And so they said, well, look, we're all doing so well. Why don't we fly three or four of you from L.A. up to, to, to New York to sit down with Marvel and talk about important characters or important storylines to try to use in the next 39. And so we had a couple of days of meetings that went really well. And it's the first time we've ever, outside of, you know, an hour or uh, before the show started, this is the first time we really sat down and collaborated with Marvel about the future of the show. And, and so they immediately said the Phoenix and the dark Phoenix. And you'll see, I mean, you may see in, if, if one of my notes is in there to, to the Mark and Michael Edens who, wrote down the the phoenix story with me for me wrote it for me um we weren't sure if we're going to try to squeeze all that together as one and be like a five six parter that's all of it and then we got more we got into it we realized there's one and there's the other and they are really distinct and so we need to give a bunch of episodes to each one uh but that was absolutely uh us asking marvel okay we have this wonderful opportunity to do 39 more uh, and you know, what are your, you know, what do you want to see? Another thing I think they wanted to see another Mojo episode. They wanted to see Nightcrawler. Mm -hmm. They wanted, you know, there were maybe a dozen things that they gave us that we did. And a dozen things they gave us that we tried and didn't, just didn't work out. You know, we had an Iceman story, I think because of their suggestion, various things like that came from those two days of meetings, but they were really helpful, helpful meetings. And, and gave us gave us some directions. I mean, Phoenix, Dark Phoenix are the crown jewels in the X Men series, yeah. X Men books. You know, it's, and I I think that was also just a testament to Marvel's confidence in yeah. what had happened with the first two seasons of the show. That that those when I was working on season one on Days of Future Past, initially we didn't know if we were going to get the okay. And again, if if you know the books, it's like there's a lot of uh, uh, juggling there because yeah. <laughs> you're not using certain people and you're bringing other people and stuff's happening. And but um, so we were we were we were writing it under the assumption it was going to be called Future Tense and kind of be an homage to Days of Future Past. But as we moved along with it, um, Marvel understood the changes that we we made to to put it into a series on air and gave us permission to call uh, it Days of Future Past. Yeah, yeah, and they 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 were they were pleased with the idea. But I think it was Larry Houston came to us and said, 
this, I think this would translate really well. Why don't we ask Marvel if, if, if we can do it with our team? Mm -hmm. And cause we, we knew it was a, you know, a, fa a crown jewel and that they didn't want to do it, us to do it casually. But that was the one episode. That was the one story in the first year that we mm -hmm. actually asked them about, you know, do you feel comfortable, comfortable with us doing this? And they said, yes. So you're getting a lot of input from Stan Lee, Bob Harris, all the people at Marvel, but you're adapting the Phoenix Saga, the Dark Phoenix Saga. I have to know, did Chris Claremont ever give you any pointers? Did he see anything? And look at Julia's face. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. We, Only because it's, what year is it? It's the year 2020? Okay, we, we, and this we, is 1994? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, 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 met, we met and spoke to Chris for the first time first last year. Time. Last wow. year. Had never spoken. Had never met. No, this, nope. you know, despite our our indebtedness to him. Oh my God! To, to, to all to his writing to the. Oh yeah, and I wasn't sure if when we met him at a con, and <laughs> I knew he was over there, and he's Chris Claremont. It's like, oh my God! If I go over and introduce myself, is he going to punch me? Or you know, <laughs> I don't know his reaction. I don't know how how he responded to any of this, but he was so gracious and so. Kind and, and we give him an X Men hat and he, he wears it everywhere. <laughs> yeah, so, so we got to we got to meet him and 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 hang with him and with Larry Houston who was also at that con. And like I said, it, it was just one of and this was just two within the last two years. It's crazy. We never met. We never yeah. talked. Never yeah. crossed paths. Yeah, it's wow. weird. It's, it's it's a New York LA thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Three or four really top uh, comic book writers, uh, Marv Wolfman, Len Wein, a couple others, mm -hmm. had moved out from. New York that had been real forces in comics and ended up uh, doing work in animation out here. But for the most part, it's just like two separate worlds. At that time. They didn't know us. We didn't know them. Previous, previous uh, comic uh, adaptations for television just, you know, use that, use TV writers and they wouldn't even, you know, why, why would we call them the, you know, New York and cartoon writers? Um, to be honest, uh, I didn't realize that Len, Len Wein, for example, who wrote for our show, was out here until we finished the first season. Oh my gosh! I yeah. I I we we I grabbed you know my half dozen favorite writers. We got all write this all really fast. Uh, let's get it done, and we did. And when we finally caught our breath and got a renewal, which we didn't know was going to happen, you know, one of the did. writers looked at me and said, "You know, Len Wein lives here." And yeah, and he's written a couple episodes uh, for animation. He does that. So why don't we, why don't you talk? So I called him up on the phone and said, Len, you don't, you don't know me, but uh, we just did a season of X-Men uh, for TV. How would you like to write for it? <laughs> and so that was, that was weird. But he's, he was the nicest man oh, on the planet. He, he, and his, he and his wife were just fabulous. And, uh, there was never any sense of entitlement. Oh my there God, was never he was any the most low-key, humble. You know, if we, just... needed, if we needed to redo, you know, turn the story half, you know, upside down, he said, cool, you know, let's, let's try something new. He was not, the, he was the least precious, defensive person, you know, that had created as much as he'd created that we'd ever met. My favorite sort of work-related story for the X-Men animated series is, uh, we keep saying Sidney Iwater. He was the guy who would call you up every day. And give me notes. Notes on everything, the, the script, the outline, everything that came through, uh, you know, he, you were on the phone. I had to get you a headset, because this is 99 <laughs> too. You were on the phone for hours. And you, but, uh, so 
at one point, uh, is it Old Soldiers? There's an episode in the final season, Old Soldiers, with Captain America that Len yeah. Wein wrote, and he came to do that episode because he, he said he'd do it if he could use Captain America, and that took some jiggering because Marvel's like, it's like, no, no, this is Len Wein. He wants to do Captain America, so so that happened. But um, yeah. the only time Sidney Iwaner ever got pulled up short getting yeah. someone notes. Yeah, because he's there. He's there with Len in his and office. Like, eh, and he's eh, there, okay, eh. no, this I don't know. I don't know about this line. And and here, here, Wolverine wouldn't say that. And then <laughs> Len just paused and smiled and yeah, he would. <laughs> I created him. I would know. Yeah, that's it. That's, that's yeah. the only time Sydney got shut down. The only time. Yeah, and then Sydney pauses. Oh God, I guess you're right. Okay. Yeah, so, so, so that, so yeah, Len and and Len was great about talking about Claremont because Len kind of brought him up. Len, Len started the was in charge of re, the X Men Rebirth in '75, right? And and Chris was a like a junior writer, and after they did a couple, uh, had a couple uh, issues out, suddenly the Marvel said, Len, we want you to be like editor in chief. So it's either that or, you know, or you, know, you can only be on two bucks, you're on three now, whatever. So like, Len looked around, okay, who wants to take over on, on X-Men now? And Chris was like, me, 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 me. <laughs> so, uh, so that there were some fun Chris Claremont stories from Len's point of view, mm-hmm. from the guy that was senior to him and brought him in. So uh, that was, that's how we knew, knew about Chris, but yeah, meeting him was great. It was. And, it was, it was, and yeah. knowing how much, you know, what a large, you know, that, that we, his, his kind of stories were the kind of stories we wanted to write. Yeah. And there were some other X-Men stories that took very different directions, but his, his were the heart and soul of the kind of story we wanted to write for the TV show. Yeah, absolutely. And your your adaptations of his work are are what got me into X-Men. And now, I'm, of course, I'm a, I'm a huge Chris Claremont fan. Um, but speaking of that final season, we know that uh, Beyond Good and Evil was supposed to be the end of the series. Storm may or may not have died. Scott and Jean were going to leave the X-Men. But there was something that I, you mentioned in the book that I found kind of curious because this kind of like put some pieces together for me as a fan. Um, you said Professor X and Jubilee go off to start, you know, a new team. Like Gen X. Gen X. Yeah. And we know that Fox did pitch Gen X in their upfronts. Would, my question is, was, were we going to get a spinoff with Xavier and Jubilee in this Gen X show? Were you guys involved in it? Uh, what, what can you tell us? It wasn't a planned animated show, but as you know, Sydney just had come to us and said, we want a big, huge four-part explosive, larger than life way to go out on the series. Which you would want to do as a writer. And, and we thought it would yes. be cool for the fans to have, have it be not only big explosive and a lot at stake, but when it's over, a certain number of the group have mo- will move on and there'll be new people that end up X-Men. We're not going to see any more. We're not going to see new episodes, but have the end of it be, well, but there's going to be a new beginning for somebody, you know, years from now, they may start out and may use these characters, whatever, but then yeah. the end the show by, by some farewells to, to, to half the team and, and, and welcome aboard to new people. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you know, we suddenly got an order for 11 more with the, with no, you the, got an order for five more. Well, it was five yeah. and six. It was so haphazard. Eventually, it was haphazard. And we lost our director for that for the last 11. We lost our video editor for the last mm. election. 
and we lost a third of the budget for the last 11. So it was, it was kind of afterthoughts. Uh, we thought a couple of three of the stories were really sharp in the, the last bit, but we... Including old soldiers. Old Captain soldiers and the, fa the phalanx two-parter I thought was a tight story, but uh, it was very much an afterthought for everybody, and it, fans noticed the difference, the, quality, <laughs> the animation sure. difference. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think my my question is, we you guys have been working. We know what, what, what happened with season one. Season two, you guys were so excited to come back. Three and five, we planned together. What, looking back on it now, which was your favorite season? Maybe from a story perspective or maybe just because you had so much fun working on it. What was your favorite season? I, th I think probably the second one. The first one was... The first one was the most exciting because there's all, you know, we're building this world and we're in the middle of all these fights and, you know, <laughs> we're, we're going crazy and don't know. It's, so it was the most dramatic. But the second one was, my God, we've got, we've got a hit show and they're going to let us write it exactly the way we want to. No more notes. I got to say that was pretty amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that was a very interesting. And, and now we can start telling, you know, now we can just, write the scripts and not have all the all the drama uh of the first season and then after that obviously there was there was, there was wonderful things going on in the next 39 but that was obvious okay this is going to be a slog this is a year and a half of your life that you're, you're not going to have any time off you know here you go make it happen and there's <laughs> good and bad in that but i think the second season was the most freeing and the most yeah. fun or the most yeah. fun Okay, so here's here's a, a question. I know you guys mentioned writing Beast from a writer perspective was was really great. Uh, and by the way, we have an episode called "Why Beast Is Worst X Men," but we specifically call out that Beast, your Beast, is our favorite iteration. We're not talking about that Beast, but um, all right, okay, all, right. all <laughs> Beast, but yours. <laughs> all Beasts are terrible except for yours. Um, what was your favorite character to write, or who personally was your favorite character? My fallback, it, it was just fun writing for Beast because um, as a writer, you like to think you're very smart and clever and the <laughs> character Beast was smart and clever. And you got to be the smartest person in the room writing for Beast. And it was fun trying to outwit each other with like the, the most obscure Beast quote you could come up with for an episode you were working on. <laughs> that, that, that became such a fun kind of thing for that character uh, that, that you put in the first the Night of the Sentinels that he would quote an obscure poet or some philosophy or something. And that suddenly became something to hang your hat on with him, that he would be able to pull something. And it was, it was just fun. It was, that was fun writing for him. Yeah. Yeah. I think most, most of the writers, uh, you know, Wolverine was the easiest one to write for because yeah. he's so intense and, and, and gets all the good lines. So, so that's, that's a, we actually had to, to work to minimize him because he's such a compelling character. Uh, and not make it Wolverine and the X-Men and uh, just because he's so, he, we found him so easy to write, easy to write for. But uh, my favorite was Xavier because um, I empathized because I, <laughs> I had 20 writers over five years that had to work with me on the show. And I had to be kind of the dad keeping everybody, <laughs> all these various people in line, mm -hmm. all the contentious people in, uh, that wanted very different things in line and, and keep, keep the, the the project going forward so is absolutely an empathetic choice I, I loved writing for Xavier and he was kind of a, he was kind of difficult because he had to he had to 
be this proponent of the X philosophy and philosophizing in a kid's show is not an easy thing to keep, to keep going smoothly and to have be natural. But you know, the, the, the actor was wonderful and uh, that, yeah, he was, he was my favorite to write for. So on the flip side of that, by the end of the series, who was your least favorite? Oh, how, how can we disown any of our children? No, I <laughs> I'll say this just a challenge throughout the show was Dear Jubilee, because because she was younger and because this was still an animated show for Saturday morning or kids afternoon, there were very, we, there were rules about what danger she could and could not be put in. Yeah. Whereas the other X-Men being older, more adult-like characters, we didn't have those constraints. So, so writing for Jubilee because of that was its own different kind of challenge, uh, if yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. and like, I think Rogue and Gambit were easy because they're, because they're again, colorful, flamboyant. You're from Tennessee, I'm yeah, from Texas. Yeah, we're, we're both Southerners, <laughs> Texas. So, that was, that, yeah, so that was easy. But I, I think Storm could be a challenge because you know, if you're, not, takes, if, if yeah, you're, not, if you're not careful, careful, she can become wooden and distant. And because yeah. we, we wanted to keep her different from everybody else. Uh, but it made it so, I mean, there aren't that many easygoing, casual moments in the series with Storm. My, no. my, my favorite is uh, One Man's Worth, where oh. she's out having a picnic with Wolverine. And time changes, and they have this huge struggle to save the the, the world and the existence of the very existence of the X Men. And you come back, and they're still, you know, in short. She's in shorts, and and they're they're this. She's she lets her hair down, and, yeah. and to, to be a, just a nice, sweet woman. And the fact and that, that in a parallel universe, Wolverine and Storm are the world's happiest couple is so honest and so true. And they're supposed to be together. Why yeah. aren't they together in our universe? It broke my heart. It breaks my heart every time we see them. Well, you'll be happy to know in the comics they've alluded to them getting back together recently. So. Oh, oh, oh. oh, little, little behind the scenes there. When you came up with what became One Man's Worth, and you went and pit, you because the stories had to get approved from various places pitching it to uh, Mar Marvel and Bob Harris, uh, he, he became so enamored with that idea that that is what planted the seed for what became the Age of Apocalypse series. And then the books came out just the time when the, 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 the animation was starting to happen. So you see Larry Houston you the, know, tipping the hat to the Age of Apocalypse series wow. in the two episodes that produced the, the seed that became the Age of Apocalypse. Wow. <laughs> Design-wise. Yeah, we were, we were about nine months ahead of them on that. And, and it, it, get, it gets lost a little in the shuffle about the history. But it was very much uh, the idea of what would happen if, if Xavier never existed and the X-Men never existed. And so that, that started that. And we're, we're thrilled because, you know, obviously we took inspiration from so many of the things that they came up with in the books it's gratifying to find that the books then took something that we came up with and ran with it. Yeah, I, I'm shocked. I, I, that's so exciting to hear that you guys are like the brainchild for the most epic X-Men crossover of all time in the comics. That's, that's incredible. It, it was groundbreaking. And I'm glad you clarified that because it, we, it was nebulous. I, I didn't know what, what came first, the chicken or the egg in this, in this situation. But um, so, you know, you've, you had a great series You've talked to Marvel. You even inspired, like, as Flink said, one of the best, like, crossovers ever. Once the show was done and you guys wrapped, the next day, were, you, were there any regrets? Were you like, man, I wish I had done this story or I wish I could have brought in this character? Did you have any of those? I'm not going to say it's right after the show wrapped because in, in the 
universe of, of freelance writing, you're always hustling for the next gig. So, so sitting back and pondering, there really wasn't time for that then. But here we are now, 20, 25, 28 years later. And it's fun now to think about, oh, yeah, that could have been fun. Or that would be an interesting I, yeah, story. Yeah, like I think yeah. we, we, we underused Storm and Jubilee just as a, a simple you know, statement of fact. that And that we could have used maybe used more for a little more. The fact that we had planned to kill him, I think, made us not think of him that much after we brought him back. It's like, okay, we had to bring him back. And here's four or five stories where he's very cool. And then I think we had to force us. Oh yeah, Morph's still around, isn't he? He's off. He's off healing. You know, he's not. But I think I think we serviced Wolverine and and Xavier and uh, Rogan Gambit uh, pretty well, and yeah. uh, Wolverine and Beast. But the I think we could have done more of some of the other characters, and there would have been time to bring in more. I always loved bringing in family members or you know, former X-Men, like, you know, uh, Nightcrawler and Iceman were two of my favorite episodes. Mm -hmm. And those were just us able to focus basically on one special person from the X-Universe yeah. and give them a whole, uh, a whole episode that's just really about them and their relationship to the team. And that those, those, those were fun to do. I'm sure there were more out there that, Oh yeah. But uh, she's right at the time we caught our breath and there was probably another, it did so well that we got a lot of work out of it. So yeah. on uh, to the next job, on, on to the next, you know, we gratefully we've we yeah. each worked on over forty series, and mm. not at this length, you know, a couple <laughs> scripts here or you know a short season there, but it, yeah, it was it was a very busy time, and we had we had two two small boys yeah. <laughs> to yeah. deal with. So so yeah, we and they uh, have the coolest parents ever. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> If you guys were my parents, I would have just might like I would have gone nuts. Was your son with you at Comic Con at San yes. Diego? Yes, yes, I met your son. He was very nice. He was. Oh. He, there was a, after your panel, there was a, a huge line forming at your table waiting for you to come back, and he was just the nicest line policeman of all time. <laughs> thank you, thank you. We, 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 we have dragooned both of our boys for those kinds of things <laughs> these days, and and we're. we're and they love cons. Yeah, if we can ever have a con again. Oh, oh I hope God. so. Oh. Wait, so yeah. you guys, you, you got a lot of work after after the series, but something that was really evident, uh, we got X-Men Evolution, we got Wolverine and the X-Men, we got the X-Men movies, and a lot of that was because of everything you did. You made it such an iconic series. I mean, that was you guys. I just want to be very clear about it. Did anyone from Fox, like the movie division, ask you guys questions? Did they consult? Well, there's, 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 <laughs> Thank you for that, though. There's, there's, Thank there's, you for that. there's three bits of, of history there. Generally, all these different different people kind of, you know, they've got their own people that they rely yeah, on. Like and things can be very pigeonholed out mm. here to where, oh, well, you're a TV writer. You can't do a movie or you're an animation writer. You oh, can't, you can't write, write for live, live action. action. Whatever. <laughs> You know, it's every they're kind of covering their ass because if they hire somebody that is primarily one thing to do something new and it doesn't work out, then they're blamed for taking a risk. So there's so there's a, we didn't have great expectations for for further shows uh, based on it, but in each situation in the X Men Evolution, the guys that got it, uh, Greg Johnson and I forget who it was it, but in any case, Greg Johnson was like the main guy in mm -hmm. Evolution. Um, and he was very nice. He called and said, Eric, this I know this might feel weird to you. 
Uh, you've done your 76 episodes. You've had your show. This is going to be a different show. It's, it's younger. It's gentler. It's not really what you did. But I'd love for you to write for the show if you want to, if it feels right. And I just said, you know what? We had, we had our shot. Greg, uh, you know, do your best. And if you have any questions, you know, happy to help. But so I just felt it was a different enough show that I didn't feel comfortable writing for it. On Wolverine and the X-Men, mm -hmm. uh, which was like, a, you know, Marvel had just kind of gotten back on its feet. And yeah. they, they were at like Indian co-partners, whatever. Uh, there were half a dozen of us that pitched uh, an idea about what the show should be to Marvel. And we were lucky enough to have a shot at doing that, made a pitch. They chose another one. So that was just a case of they like somebody else's take on it a little better. End of discussion. <laughs> as, as far as the movies go, um, they, the movie people, they really hadn't thought, they had never, would have never thought to talk to TV people. But uh, when, the, when the script came out about a couple months before uh, production was supposed to start. Right in 2000? Yeah, yeah, uh, like late or, or 1999. Yeah, 99. Um, and a couple people read it and thought, well, maybe this isn't quite right. And the head producer talked to Margaret Lesh and said, you know, we're, we're, got some, we're not quite sure about this script. And so the producer sent the script to me and to Will Minio uh, to get notes uh, on, on for, the, for the first movie. And Will and I gave, I think, very similar notes. Mine were like five single-spaced pages of like 2,500 words of uh, lots of stuff's wrong. This isn't really an X-Men story. You need to do this. You need to do that. You know, for one thing, they weren't the X-Men until the last scene. Right. Yeah. They got their uniforms at the end. They, it, was, it was odd. They were very, very – which works okay for the Avengers, that they're already superheroes and they come together towards the end. But it was – this, the story just, you know, it wasn't quite right yet. It's not an easy, you know, X-Men stories aren't an easy thing. Yeah. So we were uh, asked to help. And uh, I asked my agent to pitch. I said, well, look, they've had four or five people take a stab at this mm -hmm. script. You know, how about pitching me? And uh, we, there was no traction there. Again, this is a movie. You're just a TV writer. So uh, yeah. thanks. Thanks for the advice. And they took some of it, and then oh, and there was a then uh, massive rewrite. Though, uh, there so, was a, yeah. three or four massive rewrites. And <laughs> what's uh, what's his name? Buffy. David. Buffy. Yeah, Whedon. Yeah, yeah. Josh Whedon. Josh Whedon. Okay, this was later. Avi Arad was completely in charge at this point. Josh Whedon did. Josh Whedon did a pass uh, at the script, and I was asked to come in to Marvel, like under lock and key with guards at the door uh, to read the script and again to give some notes on because he changed it uh, pretty significantly from the one we'd read a few months earlier and my uh, reaction to that script was it was beautiful it yeah. was like you know it's it, it's it's word it's word perfect you know shoot it shoot it as it is mm -hmm. you know I don't know who, yeah I haven't met this guy but he really knows his x-men so done deal you know run with this and they did end up using some of his. And then we've, we've since become friends with David Ayer, who has the yeah. credit for the first two episodes, yeah. first two movies, and who was like, was like the last man standing. There were <laughs> been like eight versions, and then he did not number nine, 10, and 11. So he ended up with credits. Some, 
I think one or two of the writers had an option to get credit and chose not to. Oh, whatever. Whatever. Okay. It was a whole mishigash. But but our our experience was we saw an, a, a an early I think Ed Solomon a couple an early yeah. version, and which was very much not right. We saw Joss Whedon's version, and which I thought was perfect. And then the final version had elements of both in it, mm-hmm. and yeah. and some of David's stuff in it. So that, um, and and we we thought in general was 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 very solid. We didn't think that they uh, used the women very well. No, but that was our that was our biggest uh, uh, disappointment. That Jubilee uh, uh, just become kind. Of, I mean, not Jubilee. It's, that's Rogue. What, that, that was a Rogue. slip there. Yeah. That Rogue have just become kind of pitiful and. And Storm really didn't have much to do but walk around with her eyes bit. (laughs) It was not, they just didn't use them the way we did. Yeah, no. And, you know, you guys have absolutely, if if Disney needs, you know, inspiration for the X-Men coming to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you guys have absolutely given them the blueprint for it. So, you know, I hope they have learned you know, the, the powers that be behind the X-Men movies have learned their lesson and, and come to you, come to you guys again for, for advice. Um, but I, so my question is, are, have you guys followed the comic books at all in the 25 ish years since? Heidi hit and miss. Yeah. Yeah. Just from a distance, you know, cause it, it just even dipping one's toe in it's, it, it, there's a lot of screaming going on, I understand, yeah. <laughs> on the interweb these days. Yeah, some people sure. are very happy, some people are very mad, and it's like, I, 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 I'm out, you know. So, um, so if you guys could pitch the series again today, brand new, what would your approach to the X-Men be, given, you know, where we're at in the world and, and where the animation industry's at? What would your approach be? I think you've got two options, and, and both have... Um, both had their value. Uh, just pick one would be picking it right up from where it left off. And, you know, and the beauty of animation is voice talent is still available, and you know animation doesn't age. I mean, w- where it ended. The writers and artists are still available. Yeah. So, so you could you could you could you could do an extension of it, and that would be fun. I don't know if I don't know if if that would be the most. You never know what's going to be the most successful. Right. Or do you sort of age it up a little bit to where we are? And it, it's tragically, you would think 25 years later, we'd be a little further along human progress wise. And we aren't. We aren't. So, so, you know, so that would have been my question. Like the X-Men, obviously, and what you guys drove home for me growing up was that it, they were symbolic of the minority experience and the minority experience has changed so much. You know, that's a great question. 25 years later, things have radically changed, yet we haven't progressed that much. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, I, I still think I see them pretty close. I mean, what, uh, to give you an idea of what, where I think they could be really successful, uh, which was never really uh, exploited, was look at some of the cool things uh, Warner's has oh. done in animation. Look at that Spider-Man movie, animated oh movie. Yeah. I thought that was. The, I thought that the the recent Spider-Man animated movie was the best Spider-Man of all. Yeah. And also, Warner's had a bunch of, let's say, Batman directed D- to DVD. The Superman you know, direct DVD. Yeah, you know, two or three, two, three yeah. million dollar. God, those were I mean, gorgeous. They're 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 and gorgeous. God. They're not very expensive. They had a certain market, and now for streaming, it would be perfect. Yeah, I think I'd love a, to do that. With I think a, yeah, a, ser- a, a series of ten. 10 if you had, if you had the if you had the time there's certainly the material out there uh 90 minute 
animated you know movies for streaming God, that would that. be i think a, a beautiful niche for them yeah versus trying to reinvent i mean we've had two whole generations of live action x-men yeah. we've been very yeah. cool and that's hundreds of millions of dollars a picture and it's a real when you get things that size you get hundreds of you know creative you get all these people worried about where their money's going right whereas if you made five million dollar animated 90 minute movies uh you'd have your return on your streaming service on disney plus and and you could just keep doing them ad infinitum yeah yeah uh, and again the kind of stories we were able to tell in x-men that the multi-parters i think would be a, a, a sweet fit yeah, for yeah. that kind of storytelling yeah that's totally uh uh, Dark Phoenix was 88 minutes. Uh, uh, Phoenix was 110 minutes. Those kind of stories you could tell with these X-Men characters in, an anima in animation, it would hold up. Um, have so, you guys seen Patrick Brown's art on the Disney store of your team and how they're kind of been modernized? Yeah. Is he behind the 92, the design 92? Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh my God. Well, that again, uh, no one calls us, but <laughs> I had a friend say, are you seeing this on the Disney shop? I go, what, what's on the Disney shop? It's like, they're doing a whole Marvel, X, they're doing a whole X-Men week. It's like, what? <laughs> oh, it was beautiful. And it's beautiful. your team. It is the, it's your team. Right. And we see lots of wonderful, uh, uh, you know, uh, toy makers or figure makers <gasps> oh like God. Sideshow and all these others that, that are putting out pieces of art. Gorgeous, gorgeous figures, action figures that are still our team 30 yeah. years later. And still. I'll say the movie, the movies, the franchise, same team. I mean, they could have picked any people yeah. they wanted to, yeah. you know, and they made some, they shifted some things, but they still picked the team that, that pretty, you guys yeah. picked when you started X-Men. Pretty close. And, when, and you guys know, you go to cons and there seems like 80% <laughs> of the X-Men characters are dressed like our X-Men characters, not oh, like yes. any other variation. Oh, yeah. For, for cosplay, yeah. Yeah, for yeah. cosplay, it seems like, okay, it's the animated series. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, guys, I know we could sit and talk to you all Forever. day long. I told, I told Maya, oh, it'll only be 30, 40 minutes. Don't worry. Uh -huh. Where can our listeners find you guys? X-Men TAS. We call ourselves X-Men TAS for X-Men the animated series to yeah. make a distinction there. Uh, I'm on Twitter way too much. Uh, we are also on a Facebook page. We're trying to figure out Instagram. And we have a website, which is xmentas.com, that we have got to update. Yeah, but it's got a lot of stuff on it, but it's, 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 yeah. getting, it's getting along with it. Yeah, but, but so please um, reach out to us. We're, and, 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 and look for the book. Uh, it's at a, a lot of local bookstores. Yeah. And if not, please consider shopping local and ordering it through your local bookstore. Support the Indies, because this is a rough year for everybody. But it, it, so this and then Eric's first book, previously on X-Men, which is an oral history. So here you got the art. Here you got the oral history. Handy companion pieces if you're shopping for the holidays. So. There you are. <laughs> he has oh, his nice. handy. Right there. Nice. Um, and we are doing a giveaway for the art and making of the animated series. So, listener, check out our Instagram for that. Guys, the Leewalds, you guys have been such a pleasure, such a delight. Thank you for joining us today. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. And we can talk again in the future sometime. I am the uncanny dayspring. And I am the adjectiveless Flinkman. And we'll see you next week. Okay.